0: Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, the Big Show, show that's being recorded in our rental car. We're welcoming you from—that's right—we're going to actually tell you where we are right now. We are in the Happeningburg of Memphis, Missouri. Here in North Missouri, we're on our way from somewhere to somewhere else, and we decided to go a little out of our way to take a picture in Memphis because I didn't have a picture. Of what I wanted a picture of, and it's located in Memphis, Missouri. In his home. It's a town that we get through from time to time. So Memphis is located uh, in North Missouri on the eastern edge of North Missouri, up next to the Iowa line. In fact, we'll be driving through across the Iowa line here in about oh ten miles or less. So welcome to the show. What what is it we're we're talking about today? Well, today is the. Memorial Day Podcast Edition, and it goes along with the article that we have written for Memorial Day. And if you are a person who just listens to our podcast and doesn't go to the website all the time, I highly recommend you go see this one, because you need to see the pictures of what we're talking about. And we're going to talk about something that's kind of near and dear to our heart, and it's not directly related to Memorial Day, but in the other sense, it really is. And so, I'm Salty. And I'm Spice. Shall we just jump right into it? Sure. Okay. I tell the story in the, on the in the article, but I'll go ahead and tell it here too. Many years ago, many, many, many years ago, I make no secret about the fact that I have worked in the news business for many years. And one of the things, even though I was not really working in a situation that covered Scotland County, um, I did have somebody who who's told me about this really poignant and interesting war memorial in Scotland County. Middle of nowhere, Scotland County. Yeah, the guy told me, he said, now, I'm going to have to give you directions because you'll never find it. Um, and I'm like, Okay. And he's like, okay, you got to go down this road, you got to go down that road, and you want to make sure it hasn't been raining or you'll get stuck. You know, That's what everybody always tells, especially if you come from the south, don't come from the south to where that thing was sitting, you will get stuck. And everybody always tells everybody that because they're not kidding. This is not a gravel country road. This is what we call in Missouri a mud road. And when the road is named a mud road, it's where people go mudden. And if you don't know what mudden is, you're probably not from the country.
1: It's a half a step up from a two-lane cow path. Except for it's a lot muddier. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, anyway, it's it was accessible. The roads around there mostly have improved. I think the, the one to, I haven't been out there in a while. The one to the southwest is still a mud road. But anyway, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's probably about... 10 miles out from Memphis, and Memphis is the middle of nowhere, to be honest with you.
1: Nothing inside of it, but cow pastures and now, a gravel road that so by it.
0: So, he told me where it was, and I went out there. And I was just like, I got out there and looking at it like, wow. This is just odd. What it was, it was a big tall dais platform with a statue of a World War One soldier on it, a doughboy,
1: life-size statue,
0: and but it's it's hard to to explain how in the middle of nowhere this is. Okay, this is a, a war memorial, a memorial to this particular soldier and others from Scotland County, just uh, sitting beside a random gravel road. What's the story behind this? Well, it turns out this story is well-known by the locals. He was called the Soldier in the Field. And he literally sat next to a cattle lot. (laughs) And there were fields all around him. And the... It wasn't just that this was sitting out there, but it was the inscription that was written by his obviously devastated mother. That... Is just so moving. You could tell by the words she wrote that she was not an educated woman. You can tell by the words that she wrote she was a heartbroken woman. Her son had gone off to war, like so many other, so many other people did. Her son's name was Pernell Batts Barnett, and Pernell didn't even make it to Europe. He didn't make it past Fort Riley, Kansas, which is which was a training ground for the World War 1 soldiers. What happened is in, in the in the 19 early 1917, you know, we got involved in the war, we being America, and we had no standing army of of any size at all. So they had to bring in all these these farm boys from all over the country. All of these kids had never, you know, Purdell had gone to a little rural school in Scotland County, little tiny rural school. You know, he'd never been in a group of people bigger than his church. You know, the number of people that would fit in his church. Now he may have, I don't know. He may have gone to the county fair and seen a thousand people, but that would have been it. And he and all these other boys from all across the country, and they were all, all boys, you know they were. It was and not. A... They were
1: mostly farm boys because we were mostly a rural, rural nation at the time.
0: They all came in. And they got their uniforms. They got in line to eat. They ate off the same plates. They drank out of the same glasses. They slept in the same barracks, and they became Badly militarized. Needed. We're going to come back to that. We're going to come back to that. Now, Purnell got sick. And he died of pneumonia. That's what his listed cause was pneumonia.
1: That's what it says on the That's memorial. That's what it
0: says. He died in 1917. Now, one of the things that people don't teach very often about war is that in general, at least up until the very, very modern age when sulfa drugs have become much more
1: I think it was available. World War II.
0: World War II. Sulfa drugs. Yes. More people, in, in many cases, multiple times more people died in the war from everything else but battle injuries. Disease. Disease, famine... Uh, bad water, you name it. Uh, They died from injury while they were being forcefully relocated. Um, Some of them were put in extermination camps. I mean, frankly, a lot of people died in concentration camps from uh, the Civil War on up. Even though they were called prison camps in the Civil War, that's what they were. was a concentration camp. And then you get into the, the actual real first killer concentration camps in the modern era. And no, it wasn't the Nazis. it was the British that did it during the Boer War. So you got all this. And a lot more people died first from you know camp illnesses.
1: Even a lot more soldiers died. Many more soldiers ben died. Diseases. You know, diseases, like in the World War
0: or in the Civil War, you know, you always read the the, the desperate,
1: horrible
0: uh, toll Slaughter. taken at places like Shiloh and Gettysburg and Chickamauga and uh, you know, Petersburg. All these names—they don't hold a candle to what yellow fever did. No, yellow fever and uh, dysentery. You know how many soldiers in the history of this world have been killed by dysentery? Well, it's a lot more than the people who've been killed by bullets or spears or arrows. And why is that? Well, almost all of it had to do with two things. Hygiene and a lack of ways to stop infection but not all because there is some other stuff that comes in and one of those interesting twists one of the really big killers of American soldiers and a lot of other people in World War One, didn't have all that much to do directly with the war And that was the quote-unquote Spanish flu. Now, obviously, it did in the sense that how it started and how it got a hold of the population was directly related to the fact that it got into a high concentration situation in the military.
1: So it did have to do with the war. But the Spanish lost a whole lot of people to it in 1918. Right. Which is why it got called Spanish, Spanish flu. flu. But it wasn't the Spanish flu. didn't start so, there.
0: So, what has all this got to do with anything? Purnell, Bats, Purnell <laughs> Bats Barnett died in 1917 at Fort Riley, Kansas, of pneumonia. Okay? Now, what else was going on in 1917 in rural Kansas right around Fort Riley? In November in November. Of 1917. And even before that, because there were several leading up to it events. What was going on? That was where the 1918 Spanish flu got started. First deaths from that flu were
1: recorded in Fort Riley, Kansas, in the military barracks. Actually, the very first ones were from a uh, little farm town out in, in Kansas, not at Fort Riley. But some of the boys from that town volunteered as soon as war was declared and were sent to Fort Riley as a training center. And that's where the first big spike of deaths was.
0: Now, also, we have to keep in mind that in the earliest, earliest, earliest parts of the pandemic, there are deaths that are not recognized or realized to be part of that pandemic.
1: You don't know you've got a pandemic yet. You don't have a pandemic yet.
0: So they're recorded as things like
1: pneumonia.
0: Pneumonia. For example, well,
1: most people who died of Spanish flu would would have died literally of pneumonia.
0: So, what we have is a guy who may well now we can't say for sure because there's just no way, sort of exhuming the guy, and nobody's going to do that,
1: but that may have been one of the very first victims of yeah. a pandemic. It was doubly chilling to me because it was we went out to tend the memorial. Yes, we were out there to uh, pull the weeds, tend the flowers. We used to
0: do that all the swap time. Swap out his well, couple times a year
1: uh, faded and frayed American flag for a fresh one.
0: Yeah, we used to keep an American flag out there.
1: And while we were out there, it was chilling enough to to read the heartbreak of his mother having and you lost re- her only son.
0: You really need to go to the article and read what it we're, says. We've got
1: it is some of the parts of it there. It is. She was just devastated. Yeah. And you could hear that story echoed hundreds of thousands of times across America. You just knew it was true. Uh, so that was chilling enough. But then when I got to the part of Fort Riley, Kansas, November eleventh, nineteen seventeen. I don't think it was November eleventh. Uh, oh no, it wasn't the eleventh. That that <laughs> of course you'll World World War One, that date. November eleventh. Yeah. yeah, but it was. Uh, but it, it was, was. It was in the right time frame. Yeah, it was, it was a little a, early, but not much. Actually, first couple of weeks of November I don't. I don't want to Riley. say November.
0: I don't think it was November, November, but it was in the right time period.
1: Yeah, right about the right time period. In Fort Riley, died of pneumonia, and I got a second wave of cold. Because
0: she knew what happened at Fort Riley.
1: Because I knew what had just started in Fort Riley. It, it, at that time of year, in that particular batch of soldiers that was training, were the first flu deaths. And as soon as they got that batch of soldiers trained... They shipped them overseas, and that's what got the disease transmitted overseas. Other soldiers were not sent overseas. They were sent to other military bases, and that's what spread it in the U.S. was it spread first from the military bases out, and he was one of the first. I have seen estimates of a quarter of a million or uh, 250 million people dying of that. It's untold millions. Uh, nobody really knows uh, any idea. Yeah, I've seen wildly varying estimates, but it was certainly millions of millions. I mean, and it was, went through
0: China. It went through India.
1: Yeah, that's and why nobody who knows? really knows. I mean, it went it, through Russia. They didn't keep records like that. But we lost a whole lot of people. It went in through a, Africa. In short periods of time. It was one of those diseases that... Uh, Pernell was probably the prime... Stereotypical person to die from Spanish flu. Okay. Because he was 26 years old and well, he was.
0: 20 something. Uh,
1: maybe I did the math wrong, but anyway. He <laughs> was a young man old. and he was obviously in good health or so they wouldn't have accepted him. And young adults in good health had the highest death rate from that flu.
0: Okay, now we have to stop and give you a. Okay, so really put this together for us. Why why are you saying all this stuff? Okay, what I'm saying is we have seen the concrete evidence of what a pandemic does to a family. And that is what is on this memorial. It is a war memorial, and it's a memorial to to the destruction of a family because of a pandemic. We have seen a pandemic that is um, as virulent as you can imagine, rightly feared, happening in modern times, starting in America. And we also know Because we uh, know these things, one of us is a scientist, one of us is a historian. We know that this is the type of situation that we think is most likely to cause a massive disruption. This is what we prep for, among other things.
1: Among the the big catastrophic events, I consider it absolutely to be the most likely. Because flu mutations like that have come up repeatedly in the past. This wasn't the first one, and it hasn't been the last one. Okay, let's
0: walk through. Let's walk through. And we've done a podcast on this before, I want, but I want to make sure people get what we're saying here. Oh, shoot. I want to make sure she doesn't pull out in front of me. Um, I want to make sure people get what we're saying here. So would you walk people through the 1918 flu, which I think is a perfect example of what can happen with the biggest exception being, it could now happen much faster because of international uh,
1: travel in hours. Influenza, everybody knows about, and most of the, it's an upper respiratory viral infection, mostly. And most of the time, it causes some illness, and then you get over it, and then you're immune to that particular strain for the rest of your life. Some of the most susceptible, usually the very old and the very young, and those who otherwise have very bad immune systems, will uh, die of secondary infections related to the, to the uh, virus. But it's, they're usually not a high mortality thing, and they, they come around and a lot of people get them, and it's a disruption, but it's not catastrophic. But there are some strains of the flu that trigger a specific kind of reaction in the immune system of people known as a cytokine storm. And what that means is your immune system gets so riled up trying to attack this respiratory virus that it kills you because the immune system is all about collateral damage. It doesn't care about collateral damage. It kills about killing its target. And if you get the immune system cranked up too high, the collateral damage very literally kills you. And if it's a respiratory infection, it kills you mostly by filling your lungs with fluid so you don't get good gas exchange and you die of pneumonia. And the people who have the best immune systems are the most likely to die from that sort of flu, which is why young and healthy adults have the highest mortality rates from these cytokine storm flus. So how do you get them? Well, waterfowl carry influenza viruses. Pigs carry influenza viruses. People carry influenza viruses. Uh, These viruses can be passed back and forth among the species, and these viruses can trade genes with each other. And when they trade genes and mutate, you can combine characteristics of different strains.
0: Okay. Briefly, I want to stop and, and say, now, people will mock this. People who don't know what they're talking about will mock this. People who don't know what they're talking about will... Say, ha! They talked about that before, and it never happened. But words like bird flu and swine flu—hey, this is a real deal here. We, we as people who follow this stuff, need to pay attention to when there are bird flu outbreaks or swine flu outbreaks
1: because, or SARS, uh, which is because they same they
0: transfer
1: among species. The only thing that saved us with bird flu is it was hard for one person to catch it from another person. It was easy for one bird to catch it from another bird. It was fairly easy from a human to catch it from birds. So a fair number of humans caught it, mostly in Asia. And more than half of the people who caught it died of it in Asia. But it was hard to transmit from one person to another because it lacked that last genetic mutation that makes it easy to transfer it in coughs. But what is it that
0: that flu viruses do better than anything?
1: They mutate and combine characteristics. So bird flu was was close. One mutation away from an international complete disaster. And think about what she said. Half the
0: people who caught
1: it died. A lot of them died, even with the best medical care available.
0: Think about that for a minute. You realize what that would do? Will do. Because it will will happen at some point in time. Another one of these pandemics is going to get out. They've happened throughout human history. And there's no reason
1: to think they won't happen again. Unless we do get a universal flu vaccine done. But we don't have one now.
0: And then there'll still be people who won't take it because
1: yeah. But if you get enough people vaccinated, it's less of a disaster.
0: And besides, if they're vaccinated, the people who are vaccinated, the people who are not going to not going to die. So yeah, there's that. It's kind of a yeah. self fulfilling thing.
1: Uh, but if you play Russian roulette enough, you will land on the chamber with the bullet in it. And if you rec- recombine enough viral traits, you will get one that has the correct set of traits to be disastrously bad to the human population.
0: And this is what happened back in 1918 with this flu. Not only did it do it, but then it got into a population that had a dysphoria
1: that got there and then went poof all over the place. First, worldwide. Like, say, you know, people do on airplanes every day today.
0: Yeah, like people do on airplanes, like people do on cruise ships, like people do on subways, on trains, people do at ball games, people do at concerts. This could get out. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just saying when you are considering your preps, I think it's wise to consider really taking a look at your pandemic preps. I think that's a wise look. That's a wise thought. So,
1: you know, you can do not what Not only you your preps, but your plans. Yeah, because it's, it's as much the about the is... plans
0: as anything. I mean, because, you know, the, the only real true way to not get sick from something like this is isolation is to not be exposed to it while
1: it's out there. It is not the killer combination of traits if it's a strain that a lot of people who are currently alive have already seen because they've got some immunity to it and they're not likely to have that cytokine storm reaction to it. It's only the killer combination if it's it's hard for the immune system to uh, attack it and if it passes easily from person to person and if it triggers a cytokine storm. That's the killer combo.
0: Not only you not only should you make plans for your family, but if you have a business you need to make plans for your business you need to understand how you're going to have a business continuity during a time when you can't actually open an office
1: and when you're gonna pull the plug on how uh, how much you interact with people and when you interact with people I can. Almost, I am not a big government conspiracy person. I, I don't have a lot of trust for the government, but I'm also not one who's pointing out giant conspiracies every day of the week. And when she says doesn't have a
0: lot of trust, <laughs> she means absolutely no trust.
1: <laughs> I trust Retreatly. them to behave the way people with too much power and not enough accountability tend to behave in large groups, which yes. is badly. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah. But nevertheless, uh, when this kind of thing starts, one of the things governments are going to want to do is reduce panic. Because that's always their first response. We don't want people to panic. Panic is bad. And panic Uh, is bad. Panic is bad. Panic can kill you. But in the process, you can stifle the flow of information enough so people don't have a clear picture of what's going on. And that lets diseases get a foothold better. Uh, that's one of the reasons why the CDC is publishing a morbidity and mortality report every week that talks about what diseases are killing people where. No. But I do not assume that that's going to be accurate and reflective if we have a serious situation like that. No, because there's and too much political don't. situation.
0: I mean, yeah. you know, sure, I think it's going to be as accurate as it could possibly be about who's, you know, what. Diseases are ravaging Mozambique at the moment, or Sudan. Absolutely. But about the USA in a pandemic situation? Forget about it. I do believe they'd be working their tails off to limit the
1: amount of damage that's being done. I absolutely believe that. But their information? But somebody will say, oh, we can't let this out. It will do horrible things to the economy. And they're right. It would do, it would horrible do things horrible. to the economy. It would be terrible. And they'll be so the focused economy. on that short-term harm to the economy that they underweight the long-term harm. They they won't want to believe the long-term harm. And so they'll see that as a reason to stifle the information.
0: Okay. That was part one of the, the lesson I wanted to, to preach <laughs> in the podcast. Part two is... Very similarly themed, but what we're wanting to do here is to take a event that happened in history. Recognize it for what it was. And learn from history. So we saw... This beautiful memorial, we saw, and you could just tell, the heartbreak of the woman who made this memorial. And not only did we like, oh, that's so sad, but we took it and we applied the lessons learned in his life and his death in her life, to our current situation, to where we are now. We applied the knowledge. And that's what what we need to do from history.
1: How the historical situation was like current conditions and how it was unlike current conditions. And And what role do those changes play in the likelihood of another occurrence?
0: People who don't like history and people don't understand why history is important. I'm a historian, okay? I admit it. But people who don't like it and don't think it's important, that's because you've been exposed to it, a bunch of really bad history, to be frank. Um, she was not a historian. She didn't really care for history all that much. I mean, she was not like a history hater, but she didn't care for it. But sure. once she started seeing history in a – it's kind of hard to describe, but – in a...
1: Concepts, not names and dates. Thank you. That's what I was trying to, to... And seeing how they
0: apply to daily life. I think it made a lot of sense. Now she knows a lot of history. <laughs> so there you go. So, this Memorial Day, we, I want to honor Purnell Batts Barnett, whose memorial... Now stands, it doesn't stand in at the in the field anymore. It was vandalized, and he had his head chopped off. Fortunately, whoever did it didn't steal the head. The head was found laying around. and the Scotland county the good people of Scotland county um, stepped up and they restored the memorial. And he now sits safely in a museum yard in Memphis, Missouri, where he will not be uh, damaged again. So He's every
1: it. bit as much of a hero as the boys who died going over the top. Absolutely. He volunteered and stepped up to do his part. That's uh, all you can do. He gave his all.
0: As his mother said, we gave every son or every son we had. Okay, what the did best you we give? had. Yeah, what did you give? That's what we gave. What did you give? So there we are. Check it out on the on the website and have a great memorial day. And if it's if you're listening to this from some other country that it isn't Memorial Day, that's okay. Remember the people who have served your country and
1: Anzac Day or whatever you've got. Yeah,
0: yeah. Anzac Day, Armistice Day. Everybody's got one. Everybody's got one. Well, yeah, and as a caveat, for those of you who celebrate Anzac Day, you don't need an American preaching about the lessons that need to be learned from that little (laughs) fiasco. You don't need me to, to be preaching on that. because You already know the lessons from Anzac Day. All right. We'll talk to you later.